So you're a huge fan of Atlanta United. And you want Dave to give you the latest insights to our tactics. Pineda, five in the back, are you kidding me? Or maybe you can't effing believe we signed Don Dwyer and you want to hear Mikey Dobbs rant about it. Well, you've come to the right place. I'm David Katz. And I'm Mike Dobbs. And this is the the ATL on Fire podcast. Welcome back to another episode of ATL on Fire. I am joined by Dave Katz and our new producer, Carmen Butler. Dave, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. How are you? I am great. Yet again, we've got help. We, we're got our ducks in a row. Ready it's to, ready almost to like a little professionalism has come to the podcast, Mikey Dobbs. Being saved. <laughs> um, and importantly, we're all drinking a nice bottle of wine. Uh, it's a Rodney Strong, right, that you, you brought us to enjoy this evening? Yeah, apparently, I don't quite remember everything, but Rodney Strong was like an actor who moved to California and started a winery, um, and uh, they've been making wine for a long time, and it's it's a you know classic California Cabernet, really good. Yeah, that's just, yeah, very drinkable cab. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> so we... Uh, had a game, what, last night at 7.30? It was like a 7.30 kickoff. Right. We're yeah. coming to you live on Sunday night. And uh, so yesterday was the Atlanta United-DC United game. And, of course, Bally's uh, rights to the game made it hard for us streamers to watch. Uh, so, again, using the VPN. Does that ever stop you, Mikey Dobbs? You have some kind of internet magic. I, I know, but it's still like jumping through hoops to... Yeah. To, you know, it adds another level of stress. My parents, God bless them, they have the Comcast. Yeah. So they get that channel. <laughs> it's only Comcast is the only one right. remaining. Oh, and Carmen is raising her hand. She yeah. also gets Comcast, which is a reason to stay. You know, should we put in our plug for Comcast? Like all Atlanta United fans should go to Comcast. Don't cut the cord. Stay with Comcast. Might be the thing to do for the time being. Can they be our sponsor, Mikey Dobbs? I don't know. I don't know about that. There's just too much history. Okay. <laughs> and it's not good history. <laughs> so, um, yeah, as we were talking about, the game is not one to really remember, but it's definitely <laughs> in the bucket of ugly wins. And, uh, boy, you know, out of the games this year, I think it's the third where we've won it uh, or gotten a, a goal in extra time. If I'm not not just the third, the third consecutive Mikey Dobbs where oh, we wow. scored at the end of the game. Charlotte, penalty kick, um, Montreal, <laughs> multiple goals in the end. Um, and now here again in the 93rd or whatever it was. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, as a as a Manchester United fan, they used to call that Fergie time. Yeah. Right? You know, what are we, what are we going to call it here? Pineda time, it's not quite the same. We need it. We need something that rings. Training, right? training McTrain time. <laughs> training. Mc, did you see that terrible April Fool's joke from Darren Eels? I did. Yeah, it was, uh, we'll just, yeah. It was, there yeah. was a lot of bad ones going around the right. internet. So but, yeah, yeah. He's not afraid to uh, to, to, to go. <laughs> yeah, he's having that. fun, right? Yeah. Good for him. Um, so yeah, training McTrain face. <laughs> um, yeah. 
What, uh, what was it? The um, that this is a reference, right? To the uh, in Britain, right? They had the the public contest to see um, you could name one of the Royal Navy's ships, right? And they was going to make this this great public, you know, service or whatever. And people put it out, and the winner was Bodie McBoatface, <laughs> <laughs> and they quickly canceled that whole program. <laughs> Uh, it was like a submersible, right? It was right. like some kind of Navy submersible. I was trying, what was the Atlant- Atlanta mascot back in the day? Um, it was something silly, too. I can't remember. One for the Olympics? I yeah, thought we were it was like, like, what is it? It's yeah, nothing. It was like the worst. It was very similar to that. It was like, what? Right. That's the best we got. All awesome. right. Well, you know, it is a great tradition in the ATL, apparently. Uh, Bodie McBoatface. So, you know... What do you want to talk about in a game that, um, you know, I'll just throw my quick um, recollection of just notes in my head since I don't have them written down. But I felt felt like um, Atlanta clearly showed they just had more class than D.C. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they played better or had more chances, but it certainly um, was relevant to me that, you know, with Ahmad on the field, uh, yeah, so that was going to be one of my questions to you. What did you think of Almada as a, his first uh, start? Uh, you know, I think he he clearly made some mistakes, but one thing that um, is for certain, he uh, is is driven with what he's going to do with the ball in terms of like he's committed to um, you know what he's going to do with the ball right away. Um, and so that's one thing I, I saw even a couple times where, you know, he made a, a cross field pass. that could have been brilliant. It was, it came up a little bit short. He had some lateral balls that got picked off, but boy, in between, he had some real buttes as well. Like curling the ball around. That was just class to somebody on the outside. Um, you know, making some, some moves after really bombing down the field at one point, he kind of had to go against the whole team was smart enough to hold the ball up and just, uh, retain possession and, and move it across the field. Just a couple of things like that that just showed his class. Um, yeah, I think that um, he knows where he wants to go with the ball or the right. play even before it comes to him. It's really classy. Sometimes, you know, for example, everybody comparing him to Barco, right? And maybe that's unfair, but... You know, Barco seemed like got the ball, would try to dribble in spaces, and then was trying to think about where he wanted to go with the ball. And there are times when Barco would start to dribble when maybe the early ball was on. You do not see that with Almada. A couple of times, it's one touch, or it's he knows exactly yeah. where it should Even, go. It was, you know, the ball where Lennon crossed it, the keeper punched it, it was uh, shot by Martinez, it came back to him. He kind of did the same move where he scored last week, where he just did a little touch, you know, didn't just slash at it. Did a little touch, bent it to the far post. I think it bounced off Martinez or somebody. But again, it was composed. Um, you know, and one of the things I saw from him, he had a chance to have a free kick from you know about twenty four yards out at the mm-hmm. top of the key. Not much power, but he did what I like, which is he put it on the put frame. It on goal. Put it on the frame. <laughs> yeah, and it was a pretty easy save for the keeper. But mm-hmm. just a couple of things I like to see versus like PT Martinez, who was just shooting it over the crossbar all the time. The other thing I think that's that. I mean, obviously, it's early days, and you don't know whether it's really going to translate. But um, one of the things you rarely see, even amongst good dribblers, and Barco was a terrific dribbler, um, there were times when Barco was dribbling, his head would go down. 
and he got the feeling he wasn't always ready to make a pass while he was dribbling. Almada seems to dribble with his head up and is capable of making a pass at any moment while he's dribbling. That's yeah. not easy to do. No, he just seems very fluid and, and composed. Um, again, one of the guys that stood out for me, he didn't have like the best game in the world, but again, moments was the difference maker was our friend Moreno, who got f- fouled repeatedly as always in the game. Uh, a couple fouls I thought he actually should have gotten, he didn't. So what did you make of, I mean, DC United committed a bazillion fouls on us. What did you make of that? And then what did you make of the referee's sort of reaction to that and all the freaking yellow cards were given out? Yeah, you know, I felt, uh, yeah, I felt like the the fouls against Moreno, you know, he should have probably acted sooner on that in terms of yellow card, but I can't really recall the, the sequence of, of when all the yellow cards came flying out. Um Remind me. I thought the refereeing was awful. Yeah, I think most, um, most people would agree. But Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been talking about how maybe the MLS refereeing has been a little better of late, but this was back to the old dark, you know, the dark yeah. ages of MLS refereeing. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously he didn't really kind of control it to begin with, and then, you know, there were a lot of fouls, and then, bam, he started giving out yellow cards for every oh, single oh, foul. Yeah, the one that stands out was the one against George Campbell. George Campbell, yeah. Where, you know, he's running, and his hand, you know, is, is in a natural <laughs> running position, and that happens in the EPL, and I've seen that be a yellow card in the EPL, to be fair, but, you know, he's he's just feeling his way as he's going. It didn't feel like it well, was that Well, and that of- play was started when, uh, I can't remember his name, um, from D.C. tries to tug his shirt to pull him back and protect prevent a counterattack. Yeah. Right? So then when he's reaching out and trying to shoo him off, like, at minimum, it's a reaction to that yeah. crazy thing, right? And so at minimum, you give him both yellow cards. And I would have been like... And it just shows, like, Knock I mean, it off. he got brushed in the face. And it's like these players are so trained to just go down now. Well, he was one of those of- stupid things where the, the, the guy is all over him. He's being a gnat. And even the D.C. United commentators were like, this is his thing. He's always buzzing around and making a nuisance of himself, which he was. Okay, fair. But then you get swatted off and you go down like a house of cards, right? If you're the kind of player who's going to drape yourself all over somebody, you can't be surprised when they shoo you off. Yeah. Right? I mean, come on. Um, and then one thing that was evident in the game, certainly the, the Campbell-Franco uh, combo didn't work at times. There was some miscommunication, some um, some tough moments um, that were either Franco's fault and or Campbell's fault or, or a combination, particularly the opportunity that DC had at the beginning of the game where uh, <laughs> Campbell, I think, played it back to Franco as a bit of a – you know, tough position he put him in, and then Frank- well, Campbell first tried to clear and made a terrible ball. And actually, um, we've noted this a couple of times where Campbell his distribution reminds me a little bit of Miles. You know, his second beginning of the second year when he was finally playing, sometimes just giving it away poorly. Um, I think that will correct itself, but. Um, almost, it was the second minute of the game, and he yeah. gave up a ball coming right out of the top of our 18. Right, and then Franco tries kind of a, si- a silly <laughs> yeah. turn. Franco uh, made it worse made by it being worse. a little cute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, And then, yeah, I thought uh, Brad came out super strong and saved the day, too. Yep. So great save on his Alert part. and uh, right, you know, right on it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and the only other note I have in my head, I think, is, you know, I felt like, you know, the the cross I just mentioned, Lennon went to the end line, put in a really good ball that forced the keeper to make a punch. There were, you know, two or three other good crosses that Lennon had in the game, including the corner kick, which uh, ended up with a game winner. Uh, what did you think of Lennon's play? It's kind of classic, you know, hard-nosed work, but... Felt like his crosses in this game were particularly. Yeah, so decent. you're talking about Almada in the 34th minute off the cross from Lennon. Um, maybe should have taken it the first time, um, but yeah. Um, but you know, over and over in this game, most of our attack came from Lennon um, crossing and creating things. So um, you know, I think that's great. And I, you know, one of the things that we talked about is that if you can get. Moreno and Almada going in the middle um, or um, Araujo when he comes back. Now it opens up for Lennon. And what you saw in this game was Lennon being able to get crosses off without having to take the guy on, right? When you put him out wide and he has to beat the guy, it's not going to happen. And so in, in the past, we've expected him to do that. Now there's a lot of attention in the middle. They're spraying it out to Lennon, and he's now working in a lot of space. There he can really deliver a ball, and he's much better. So is that why Gressel was good too? Because he had so much time. Absolutely. Back yeah. So Gressel was made. You know, it was a similar player could really deliver a ball. Um, and when you had Al Marone running through the middle, everybody was worried about Al Marone. They were all conjugating to him, and a, a lot of times he would just spray it out, or we would even bypass Al Marone and play it directly to Gressel, and he was just in acres of space. Yeah. What did you think of Martinez's play? Um, pretty invisible. Pretty invisible, right? I was um, going to say the same. In fairness, you know, again, um, coming off with the knee, coming off two uh, internationals with Venezuela, played most of the game for them. Um, did I expect a lot of Martinez in this game? Probably not, but still not great. Yeah. He had the one header that he normally would have done better on. That was his own yep. really clear chance that I can kind of think think about. So, yeah. Um, and so with that, I know you want to talk a little bit about our uh, corner kicks. And I want to talk about the tactics of defending a corner, Mikey Dobbs. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, this game tactically <laughs> is not a Van Gogh or a Picasso. Um, but but um, I think you saw a beautiful example of what to do and what not to do defending corner kicks. Um Here's my my thesis statement, Mike Dobbs, okay. you know, being in academia. Um, our coaching staff seemed to somehow cause us to get our knickers in a twist defending corners, right? I mean, it is so shambolic the way we've set up. Um, and we're going to start. Uh, I think Carmen can pull up the clip. We're talking about in the 36th minute. Um, do we have the clip up yet? Yep. Here it comes. Okay, pause it for a second. Um, can we go back slightly to where it was paused? Um, and we want to show you where we're starting. Yeah, right here. So, um, you know, we were, I think, a little bit beginning of the season playing absolutely straight zonal marking. Um, this is definitely zonal marking, but I don't think it's 100% zonal marking. So we have um, one, two, three, four... Uh, right across the six-yard box. They're clearly playing zonal marking. This is defensive corner kick in the 36th minute. We have two players right in front of them. 
um, who are sort of zone, maybe marking up, and then two players who really seem to be marking up around the penalty spot. They're playing man to man. So I think it's a combo, but it's a terrible combo. <laughs> well, one one thing that you'll notice doesn't happen on this is Gutman doesn't get trapped coming too far in and leaving the guy in the far post. He's at least far enough back to where he gets his head on it. Well, in fairness, I think what we're going to see over these next series of corners is the saving grace is Gutman. Gutman, I think, is single-handedly reading it himself, and he's playing brilliant zonal marking because he's not caught up in just going after the ball. So as we've talked about, here's the problem with zonal marking. There's two problems. So first of all, when somebody runs right in between two of the zone people, do you have them? Do I have them? Do we both have them? Who's going to get to the ball? And then even more importantly, depending on whether we win that first ball, zonal marking is designed to get us to the first ball And then if you don't win it, right, nobody's worried about the second. And so a lot of times you get three guys going to that first ball, a ball gets skipped or mishit or whatever, and then a guy ends up standing wide open. And you will see on this play, and you will see, on I think, on a further clip, and a clip that's not available in the highlight package, all three times, Gutman is never... Um, ball watching as the second guy, and he bails us out. (laughs) Thank goodness. And actually... I have to say, um, you know, we talked a lot about this with Bello last year, that his real weakness is that he gets caught ball watching. And Gutman does not. I think he is a superior defender to Bello. All right, well, let's see it here. Come through. So show the clip. A nice flick to the back post, but Gutman completely reads it. Right. So there is a flick to the back post. We can let it go and go to the they'll, – they'll go to a – Uh, Oh, no, they don't show replay on that one. So let's go back again one more time. So one of the things you've seen from Charlotte, and you'll see again from D.C., clearly the way they have set out to beat the zonal marking is to overload the front post to get a lot of players there. You'll see in this clip there are four D.C. United players starting at the penalty area six-yard box. They kind of all go near post. That's going to take all of the zonal marking with it, and the idea is to get a flick. It's the yeah. second ball. And zonal marking is notoriously bad. Nobody pays attention to that second ball. And often the flick comes and the guy's wide open for a tap in the back post. Charlotte tried to do it to us. We talked about We showed that clip a few weeks ago. This is what they're going to try to do. It. You'll see it again. Um, there's a beautiful flick, but Gutman is, is thank goodness, alert yeah. to the danger. Now, he would have been really irresponsible to kind of run into the other four guys that were right in front of him on our team to leave leave that guy in the back post. But he did a fantastic job of reading the flick and getting on it. Well, the thing that he didn't do was just get locked in and ball watching and then yeah. be like, turn around, where did he go? Right. He takes a peek, he knows where the guy is, yeah. and he's looking. And you'll see it, I think, again, if we now go to the 60th minute at 4.28 um, or something in the highlight package. Um, Gressel's taking the corner on the right side here, yeah? Yes. Okay. So it's zonal marking again, but now let's deposit there, right? So DC is trying a different formation. This is a stacked, right? Right. So they've got a whole stack. But again, you can see Atlanta United, I think, is defending it the exact same way. They got the four players right, right across the, the six-yard box, or even it looks like five, Right. They actually in this zonal marking, they have now figured out 
I don't know if you remember, we talked about the New York City FC playoff game where they played short and scored on us in the playoffs. Yeah. We at least have two guys who are at the top of the box in this zone, and their job is to make sure that they don't do some cheeky play and get somebody wide open at the right. top of the box. Um, but again, you're going to see they're going to overload to the near post. And the guy in this, at the PK, if you're watching here on the, the YouTube, is the guy who scores it, I believe. So this is not a this is not a goal. Oh no no no! He gets his head on it. Sorry. Yeah. So what happens is um, the DC United player, even with the stacked and zonal whatever, will get in between two players and get a pretty clean look. But what I want you to notice is what happens to all these zonal markers. They are all going to get sucked into the ball, and Gutman is going to once again be left as the only guy who's doing it right, and he's going to be left with two guys. Right? Wide open. So play the clip. So had that been flicked, is he supposed to defend those two guys? Right. Right? Because you'll see in this clip, yeah, that's... I think it's, who is it in the back post? Is it Franco number six? Yeah. So if you go back one second to that, that, that replay version of it. It's this, you're right. It's the same play, but this time Gutman's got two players. So <laughs> well, <then> first <laughs> of all, I think maybe they've done this on purpose because Gutman is our left back and he's basically playing right back in this defensive corner. So maybe yeah. they realize he's the only one who can read it and they have to have that. But on this play, Franco is the back guy on the zone and he never looks one iota to the guy behind him. He goes towards the ball and he leaves his guy wide open. Yeah. Play it again. Oh, yeah. You can see it clear as day here. So at the back post, if that is flicked on, it's a goal. Yeah. Right? There is nobody marking him whatsoever. Yeah. And we go four or five players against two of theirs and still don't win that first so ball. How is Franco not marking that guy in the back post then? Because, because it's zone. And so his job is only to be there. And he's thinking about, okay, if the ball comes into my area, my job is to go get the ball. The ball is not in his area. Right, so he's, he's just watching the ball, and he has no idea what the right, guy's but the doing. First, the first rule of defense is to get back, right, and turn your hips so you can see what's to your right and your left. And he's <laughs> not back far enough in that play to see the guy who's right behind him. But nobody, with the possible exception of Gutman, is capable of doing it. Yeah. I mean, Franco's a good defender. Franco is not a clueless guy. There is, you know, if he cannot get it right... Then your average player, so a lot of the times it's not going to be Franco. Maybe it's going to be a Marcelino Moreno or Almada. You think if Franco can't get it right that Moreno or Almada is going to get it right? I don't know. Franco needs to start getting it right. That's all <laughs> I know. Um, um, now, if we go now to 101 or something in the clip. Oh, it's basic. Right. Huh? So now we're going to talk about it's an Atlanta United corner. Okay, mm -hmm. and so I want you to contrast this. If you can maybe play it real quick and let two seconds and then pause it one more time. So pause it. Um, it's a little bit hard to see in this clip, but DC United is also playing a sort of version where they have um, zonal and man marking. But instead of we're playing with six zonal players and two man markers. They're playing the opposite. They're playing with two zonal markers and the everybody else is man marking, which in my opinion is the much better balance. So they have a guy front post. They got a guy back post and then everybody else is man marking. And what you'll see on this is that the thing that, that the coaches get so freaked out about and the reason why zonal marking was invented 
on corner kicks is because you can run a guy right off a pick. And that's what's going to happen here is that Martinez, and you'll see it, I think, better in the replay. Martinez is going to run his guy right off a pick and kind of get open for a second. But his guy still knows that he has to get there. His job is to get to Martinez, get to Martinez. And even though Martinez gets open for a second, he still gets a guy getting pressure on him. There's still a guy accounting for him. It's not a free header. He gets a little pressure on him, and Martinez heads it wide. So watch. I think they'll show it again on the... They, they, yeah, show it. Oh, no, this is ours. Yep, that's the only one in this clip. Okay, so if you if you can see in there, it's a little hard to see, but go back one second to the beginning of it. Yeah, so watch there. So Martinez, you see him go around the back there? Go back one more time to that. So Martinez has got a guy. Pause it. Pause it. Yeah. Back got, it up one plane. The YouTube is very uh, touchy. Yeah. Pause see. it. Just pause it right here. So right now you can see one, two, three, man marking, right? So this is not zonal marking. You can see it, right? You know, there's a guy on each one of the players. It's Alan Franco, it's Campbell, and it's Martinez. And what Martinez is going to do is he's he going to run right off of Franco's back and try to get around back post, you know, to get around the back corner and be open. And he does briefly get open. He does win the header, but he's still accounted for. And, and two DC United players will actually come to it. A, the guy who's trying to track him, and B, the zonal guy on the back post. Yeah. See how there's a guy running right at him at the last second who ends up on the ground, right? That's a guy who knows his job is to get to Martinez, and so he's not wide open. Yeah. So that's the whole reason to be panicked about um, playing man marking, and it's still better. Yeah. Even when when Atlanta does it right, which is when you have man marking, you should try to actually, um, you should try to play, um, you know, run a guy off. Oh, I think we, we have a phone call. We got an ATL on fire caller. Is this Enrique? This is Enrique. Who's this? <laughs> this is ATL on fire. Thanks for joining the podcast. How are you doing, buddy? This is awesome. I'm doing great. Am I live now? You're alive, yeah. You, this is uh, this is new technology in the works. You're here. on the podcast. Welcome, Enrique. This is awesome. Thank you, guys. I've been trying to call for the last thirty minutes. I left two messages already. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Dave's been talking uh, rigorously about uh, corner kicks and zone defending. So, so do you have any thoughts we, about we the? Suck at- yeah, we suck at zone. Exactly. See, the callers know. Do you have any thoughts that you want to share with us about the game against DC United yesterday? Well, I'm super happy that they ended up winning it, but it was uh, we didn't create much uh, offense. There weren't too many chances, and it was kind of boring, I thought. But um, I'm super happy that they got the three points. So as you're a guy who loves offense and – likes to create chances. Can you say anything about why you think they're not creating chances? I don't know. I mean, it's a really good question. I think uh, Moreno, I, I don't think Moreno was, he didn't have a good game. I and mean, he usually uh, plays a little bit more aggressively and he puts really good through balls. But I don't know. He must have been like a little bit off yesterday, maybe. But um, but other than that, I think uh, I think it all comes down to the coach. Uh, I don't know if the coach is like in principle an aggressive attacking coach. Um, 
He so did play defensive midfield. So you're a so you're a Mexico fan from years back. Do you remember Pineda as a player for El Tri? I actually don't, and I am from Mexico, but I don't remember him. Because he played defensive midfield for Mexico. He has I don't know thirty yeah. caps or something. Maybe that's why his mindset's a little bit more defensive than I would like them to see. <laughs> yeah, than I would like them to see play. But uh, but no, I yeah. I mean, he's just starting, I guess. How many games has he actually coached now? That's a good question. So we've had five games this season, plus what another five or seven he coached at the end of last year. I think it was more like ten uh, or so twelve, but yeah. 12, so he's yeah. somewhere in the. He's getting close to twenty, but still okay. under twenty. Yeah. How I mean, how many games do you feel like a coach should have to settle and start kind of creating his own strategy? Dave thinks, uh, you know, really within two games that <laughs> you should be able to switch at least some of the main philosophy of what you have because it shouldn't be any sort of surprise um, in, in terms of the talent you have in the field having done your homework. I think Dave would say, hey, if this team uh, is going to be more attacking oriented, don't be afraid to change the formation, which is what you know we've talked about in the podcast, Enrique, that we didn't see from Pineda last year was being bold enough to make the decision to go from five in the back yeah. to four in the back, which we just felt would have made us a more <laughs> offensive-minded team in that setup. Yeah, no, I, I would totally agree with that. And then if that's the case, then 13 should be enough games for him to kind of start shifting or – I guess the answer is like he will never shift and he'll play a little bit more yeah. defensive. But Dave has been pretty comp like him to play. Dave has been pretty complimentary the last couple podcasts of Pineda and the way he's been approaching these games, um, putting the right lineups uh, in place, making the right subs. Um, and, you know, well, he switched, you know, interesting thing is, you know, we were calling for it all last year. Like, why not switch to four in the back? We have defenders who can do it. And I think this is actually a perfect game to illustrate that point, which is you go on the road, DC United, they won their first three games of the year. I don't know if they're a great team, but they're a good team. They're at home. We are able with just four backs to go on the road. And did they have lots of chances? Not really. I mean, they had a no, so No, not really. So if you can get away with four at the back, and we not, and this is what I was saying that not only can we play with four in the back, but I thought even with four in the back, we still should have players be able to get forward and create. And Lennon was playing right back in this game in a four. We didn't give up much many chances, and he still got forward with lots of crosses. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I yeah, they didn't have a lot of chances. They didn't really dominate us or. or took possession of the game. I think it was pretty it was played in midfield for most of uh most of the game. They call that a cagey street fight. <laughs> yeah. And there were a lot of fouls, right? Um Yeah, Moreno, I agree, didn't have his best game, but he he did a lot of work and got fouled quite a bit in the at least in the first half if I recall. Um he eventually got subbed off, didn't he? No, because he scored the game winner. Oh, no, you're right. <laughs> duh. Duh. Oh, no. So, no, he had to no, be was, there at the end. So, so okay, well, what what do you think about our subs then now that we're talking about uh, the changes Pineda made? You know, we saw Jackson Conway come on there, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that looked to me like it was definitely scheduled, right? So that is Martinez coming off two internationals with his knee. Somebody said, you know, basically we only want him going 60 minutes. It doesn't matter what the score is. He's coming off at 60. Yeah. I would have, 
Caleb Wiley is listed as a defender, though. Am I right, right on that? Yeah, he's classically an outside back, a left back. So I, I maybe the reason just, why he's not playing is because of Gutman. Yeah. <laughs> right, Gutman's yeah. been terrific. And maybe I'm just thinking like he should come on as a as a striker because he had that <laughs> goal. I don't know, but um, yeah, it, we we also had the new signing um, for a striker. I don't know if he's uh, he's going to be training with the team. Or I don't know how many there. times he's trained yet. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's clear. I mean, uh, Jackson Conway had a sitter in that game, if I'm not mistaken, right? That he totally missed. Oh. So like missed his moment, man. Like got to step up and like that was like our most clear cut chance. And Jackson Conway literally missed the ball. Yeah, seventy seventh minute. Great combination on the right. Um, gives Conway an absolute open look from six. And he muffed it entirely. It did take a slight bad bounce, but man, he, uh, you gotta, you gotta have a shot on goal there. Just a firm, you know, put it on some firm part of your foot and make the woeful. Keeper. Yeah, it was woeful. Yeah, I feel for him because you're not, you know, you only have so many of those moments to make or break where things land in the future. So, um, and you know, Wolf hasn't. I was saving it maybe because of what I was going to conclude about our corner defending, but my, my new expression, Mikey Dobbs, you ready? What's that? Dire, yeah. abhorrent, and loathsome. Loathsome. <laughs> Love it. So I think that was dire, abhorrent, and loathsome, Mikey Dobbs. I mean, Conway, come on. You know, your entire life you've been playing, you know, trying to score goals from the six, um, and maybe we're about to show the clip. It was... Uh, in the uh, 77th minute um, of the game, but Conway. Yeah. It's. Well, if, even if you take that one kind of aside, I mean, because we can all be unlucky, but um, he didn't show much. I mean, he didn't really create or kept the ball or fought when he. I think we're ball. about to I, show I it, right? So it's played through the middle. It's Almada, right? <laughs> And <laughs> he slips a beautiful ball right to yeah. Conway. And actually, the goalkeeper doesn't even pick it up because it comes to a stop before it goes to the goal. <laughs> you know? So, Enrique, we're watching, uh. the, we're watching the YouTube video here. And, uh, you know, Dave and I were talking about that we thought Almada was pure class. What, what did you think? Of uh, Almada, yeah, I think he's playing better and better every game. I think, uh, yeah, I like him. He's actually starting to step up and moving. Um, I think he's pretty good without the ball. And you got to admire Enrique's really optimism. Better and better each game. This is his second game, so that's <laughs> so you're saying it was better than the first. It's his third. Is it third? Yeah, it's he his came third. on. Okay, it's his first. His first start. His first start. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that it was the first start, but uh, but no, he's a good like he's a good player. I think if he and Moreno can kind of start playing closer together, I mean that'll be exciting. It'll be a little bit more like uh, Almiron Martinez back in the day. So, do you prefer? So we have two acronyms, right? So our star quartet: Martinez, Moreno, Araujo, and Almada. A lot of people wanted to call it Mama, but we're going with Yes, Ma'am. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. <laughs> because it's the <laughs> South, right? It should be yes, ma'am, right? What do you think? Mama's easier to remember. <sighs> that's what I, that's it. Yes, kinda, ma'am. Just kind of pops. Mama's short, quick, <laughs> okay. So, Enrique, are you drinking any red wine? And, and for the podcast listeners that 
listened to our wine episode. Enrique is the one that uh, has the grape farm uh, at his house where Dave and Enrique actually made their own wine, which I was extremely skeptical would even be drinkable and classified it as very good. So, and no uh, Mikey Dubs. <laughs> Enrique, you want to comment about uh, about the the vineyard and growing it? You have any tips out there for the uh, amateur vineyard makers? Tips out there? Well, um, not not so much in terms of tips, but today I actually worked a little bit on it, and I actually uh, fertilized it. Um, okay. Ten, ten, ten product. Ten, ten, ten. Uh, nice. Once a year, uh, and I kind of kept track of when I did it last year, and it was about the twentieth of April. So now I'm actually doing it a couple of weeks before, for no kind of particular purpose other than I had nothing else to do today. And I <laughs> to go out. So, but we'll see. We'll see. If, like fertilizing a little bit earlier before the uh, before the flowers or blooms might actually. Uh, give us better yield i think record keeping is really important in the vineyard right yes absolutely i mean not that i do an amazing job at it but i yes because at the end of the day for me and this is something that i think dave approaches it like slightly differently for me it's all about testing and trying new things and trial and error and so i'm all in favor of just doing whatever uh different from last year just so we can keep learning well this is kind of like coaching right you know a little bit you know, it's not quite working. You try this, you try that. What do you think, Mikey Dobbs? Uh, well, I've yet to coach, and I've yet to make <laughs> red wine, so I'm going to leave it to you, experts. But I, you know, I am coaching uh, my six-year-old daughter, and and uh, that's I, coaching, Mikey Dobbs. I, I, I am learning quite a bit, especially with with that that group. Yeah, it is kind of testing and learning, and you know, your advice to me on just kind of keeping it moving um, and not having people stand in lines like yeah testing and learning different fun things like that that just keep kids moving and even felt like i had a breakthrough in terms of the way i explained um getting them excited about passing it to one another versus just being hell-bent on running you know towards the goal and okay. you know you know so yeah. there's no roy kent in you oh there <laughs> there is but i don't know how to bring him out in that environment it's it's not as easy as i thought it was gonna be <laughs> you can't say that to the little girls roy why not it's football <laughs> all right well thank you enrique for calling in you're the very very first uh atl on fire caller this is great. No, I think it's a great idea, and congratulations. Big fan of the show, big fan of you both. So hopefully we can drink some wine together one of these days. Okay, looking forward to it's it. Overdue. Good to, see you, or good to talk to you, Enrique. See you guys. See you, man. Yeah. Bye. There we go. All right. Enrique. You know, you get a maker. producer and all kinds of fun stuff happens, right, Mikey Dow? And, yeah, if if – you all don't remember Enrique from one of the podcasts as a guest in the past. Enrique might be one of the biggest soccer fans on the planet, right, Dave? Like he correct. just like lives and breathes soccer. That's correct. Um, I think it's what he gets up, he turns on the footy, he goes to sleep, he turns on the footy, and when he's not watching footy, he's playing footy or dialing into ATL and Fire podcast. Dialing into the podcast, <laughs> correct? Um, okay, so just uh, you know, we got a little interrupted, but I wanted to finish our our corner kick tactical analysis. Um, if we go to um, around 648 in the highlights package, this is the, the game-winning goal um, for Atlanta United, right? 
So DC has the proper defensive, you know, corner again with two. And I think you can see it better here on this clip. They have two zonal players marking the front and, and rear post. Um, and the rest are absolutely man marking. Uh, let's see if we can get it queued up. It's probably right about here. Yeah. There it is. So maybe if you play it for a couple seconds, see if they zoom out a little bit, we can see more of the formation. Um, a lot of yeah, pushing. stop it. So yeah, here you can see perfectly, right? So so DC has two players in the six-yard box who are clearly zonal because there's nowhere close to them. Atlanta United has all the players around the penalty spot. They're all making runs towards the goal. And yet they still have two players inside the six-yard box. So those two guys are zoned, front post, back post. Everybody else is man marking. Um, what I want you to sh see, actually, even before we show the goal, um, is that if you play another two seconds, what you'll see is that one of the Atlanta United players, and I can't quite tell who it is, stops over there, stops at the penalty spot. Right. So that's the player whose job it is. If they get a lousy clear or whatever, you know, against the zonal marking, that's the guy who's wide open when the ball just falls and he scores the secondary ball. But you'll see because it's man marking, the DC United player never runs towards the ball and stays with them. Even though there's a guy sitting a couple yards outside the penalty spot, he's still being marked, Mikey Dobbs. Yeah. Right. Yep. Now, <laughs> so one of the things, so after this happened, the first thing I said to our group uh, that we were watching the game with, I was like, uh oh, that's coming back. I was like, I think, I think Moreno had a push uh, to, to get the separation. Okay, stop it there. So you can also see here now beautifully in the second clip, it, you can clearly see the two zonal marker front and near post and all the Atlanta United players coming in. And if you'll play it another two seconds, you can really see one of the Atlanta United players stop at the step at there, stops at the penalty spot, and the DC United player is looking straight at him. He's not looking at the ball. He's man-marking, right? So if you leave it here too, one of the things that was a question mark for me was did, did Moreno <laughs> unjustifiably push? And I, at first I thought he did. And I was like, oh, that's coming back. VAR is clearly going to say uh, Moreno pushed him and created the separation. What makes that not true is he was clearly one of the guys that was being marked 1v1. Okay. And they were both clutched arms on arms, right? And so that's what makes that a call that you don't pull back for pushing. Is basically like two guys grappling. You know, he pushed away, the defender pushed away, and there was separation. So for me, that would not be justifiable in terms of a penalty against Moreno. I was curious what, what your thoughts on that were. I completely disagree with you. It is absolutely a penalty. It's absolutely a foul, right? So Moreno takes two hands and shove it, and that's going to cause three things. Here's my take on it. He single-handedly beats this perfect marking system with an illegal foul, right? So this is going to take away three players. So first, the guy who's supposed to be marking him can't mark him anymore because he shoved him with two hands. No, right? but, but wait... The, see, watch it again closely. That was my my first reaction. We'll get to it again. Is my yeah, first yeah. reaction too that. But Brad Smith also had his hands out too. But if you'll go back, it actually defeats two other players on it. This is the genius of Moreno by shoving the guy. He not only gets himself wide open, 
But the second thing that happens is the guy who's marking at the near post, right, he puts his arm up. And it's not clear to me that he's putting his arm up and saying, look, that guy was fouled or whether he's trying to get out of the way of the ball. But either way, he got distracted by the foul at the front post. And the third thing that happened is the goalkeeper, Hamid, um, who's clearly thought that guy was going to clear it. And so when that guy gets distracted, he doesn't make an easy clearance. The goalkeeper never moves, and he could have come over and made that save, and it just trickles in. So Moreno has beaten three players with one foul. (laughs) So all goals are reviewed by VAR. Why do you think MLS, who's classic for calling this back and, and giving the foul, why did they not reward that as a foul? I believe it's because... The other player had his hands up equal to Moreno, even though Moreno had a better push off that both had their hands up and were pushing off. So if the defense, I think it's because the refereeing is terrible in the, (laughs) I I think you're wrong. I really do. I, I, after watching this, like again, my first gut reaction was that's a clear push off by Moreno. Doug Roberson, uh, tweeted about and he got roasted by all the Atlanta United fans. So I think it's a good topic. Yep. Um, he very much felt like, yeah, watch it again. It should be a penalty. I, the re the only reason I get what you're saying. So when there's a lot of, you know, handbags that tell at six paces, right. You know, that's what's all the wrestling that goes on. They kind of just say, well, if you guys well, are as, all going to wrestle as, yeah, as a defender, if you're choosing to have your hands up like that, which is what he had clutched with Moreno, Moreno decides to create separation and wins that battle then as a defender, you put yourself in a, in a bad situation because you shouldn't get the call with, you know, basically being in a wrestling grappling move. It, at some point, you're going to have to separate and your hands are going to be up in the air. And so Moreno did what he had to do. But to one thing I'll say about it. So first of all, even when he shoves him with two hands, he still doesn't get a running header at it, right? It's still, and that's why the header really doesn't have a lot of power. Right. And then the second thing you'll notice about the marking that it's really, really good is that even though he heads it back towards the front post and there's an Atlanta United player standing at the front post, that guy hasn't been left wide open, which he would have been in a zonal marking system, right? There's two guys marking him up. So, all the things that had to happen on that corner is, A, he had to get away with a foul. You know, if you're DC United coach, you're like, A, he had to get away with a foul. He still doesn't have any momentum. He's got to get a header right on the corner, right? We still have it marked up at the front post. You figure, yeah, you know, I, how many I, times are you going to give up that goal? I don't know how that went in. Yeah, the keeper just got so screened on that that he was just so late to re- react. And really, he should have made the save, too. But. Um, all right, so that's the game, right? I mean, so that well, I want to say the moral of the story is the better coach defensive system on the corner kicks, which was clearly DC United, <laughs> gave up the game winning goal, right? So the moral of the story is don't don't be a good coach, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, they have everything right. They have absolutely right. They've got it zoned with just a couple of guys. They've got it man marked. We clearly showed in multiple cases um, that no matter what happens, they still got the guys marked up. Doesn't matter the guy who who checks the run at the at the penalty spot. Doesn't matter the secondary one. And if you compare that to Atlanta United, where the guys were wide open all the time, we're gonna lose much. And and I and you know I don't know if you watched the Man United Leicester game this weekend. Did not. Um, I watched the Wolves uh, win two to one against Villa. So Leicester, God bless them, right? Rogers, the coach 
who is a stubborn as heck Irish, you know, Scottish guy. I don't know if he's Irish or Scottish, but one of the two. And he's stubborn as heck. He has a pure zonal marking system. He refuses to change it. And you know how many goals they've given up on corner kicks this year? Tell me. Goose Take egg. a guess. Goose egg. 12. Oh, man. <laughs> 12. They've given up 12 <laughs> goals on corner kicks, and he still won't change the system, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so talk about, here's my here's my, my conclusion. Dire, abhorrent, and loathsome. So, Dave, after, after tonight, <laughs> in the last podcast, you said you didn't necessarily disagree with his own uh, marking on a corner kick, but definitely feels like you want the blend to be much more 1v1. Well, what I was going to say is if you're Atlanta United coaching staff and you look at the DC and you're like, that's our system. Because Martinez at the front post, which is what he used to do for Tata, really good at attacking the ball. Clearly the only guy who can play zone successfully and not get ball washing, Gutman, he should be the zone at the back post. Everybody else man mark, and we will not give up goals on corners. Do you hear that, Atlanta United staff? That's direct from Dave Katz. Put it, <laughs> put it in motion. So that's it. That's uh, another nice win. We're 3-1-1. One, and one. We're, what, third in the table now? We've got Charlotte. At Charlotte next, um, I'm going to be on a cruise ship. I might be able to watch it. I don't know. Can I talk about two more things in the game? I oh, as long as it's not about corner kicks or zone no, marking. I'll let you talk about something else. Zone marking. But it's another clip, actually, that we can do. This is our, because the game is shambolic, dear podcast listeners, um, we have a chance to actually go through some tactical analysis because there's really nothing on the game to talk about Mikey Dobbs. But I we, mean, we besides could, the great goal. But we could talk about the U.S. Cup draw. And We're going to get to that. Come on. We're going to talk about it all. <laughs> so if you go to 233 or 232 in the highlights, uh, 35th minute, uh, right here. It's perfect. So Carmen's got it paused. So we're in the attacking third. Um, there's two players forward. So in this clip, just to set the stage for those of you not on YouTube, we're attacking DC United down the right side. Mulraney is running up the right side and is actually in this right moment is actually just sort of cutting back to run back. And Lennon has gone in inside of him in the middle. So those guys are both forward. Yep. Okay. So, you know, if you talk about why we used to play five in the back, it's because coaches don't like to have open players, right? So in a four in the back, when you have Lennon going forward and Mulraney is also forward, which is going to happen when you're attacking down the right side, what has to happen is one of the center backs has to cheat out there if there's a guy still out there. You can't stay central because if you stay central, what's going to happen is when they play to the wide open guy who was vacated, when Lennon vacated that position, then you're coming out and two things are going to happen. Either they're going to beat you with one simple pass or you're going to have to dive in and get beaten. And as you'll see on this play, Alan Franco is late coming out there. He's standing in the middle. He comes out there. He's forced to dive in. He gets beaten. Now, before you play the clip... What should have happened is Alan Franco should have been shading out there to begin with, right? And then you say, okay, well, that leaves you a little bit vulnerable down the middle, but that's why you have a defensive midfielder. In this case, it's before, I think, um, Sosa comes on, so it's still Alonzo. Mm -hmm. But he should be sitting in the middle, so you're not just leaving Campbell on an island. You have Campbell and the protection of Alonzo. So play the clip. See how he's late getting out there, and he's forced to dive in, and now you're in trouble. 
Guzan makes a terrific save because the guy runs right in on goal. Gutman gets back in the picture and watch him get back in the picture. He covers the guy on the back post beautifully. Yeah, he did a nice job cutting. He that didn't just run straight back. He ran right into the path of where that pass would have gone. Yeah. That's something that we didn't see from Bello again all last year. Um, again, brilliant by Gutman. I think we see over and over that not only is he good going forward, and I think most of the Atlanta United fans are noticing that, but defensively he is terrific, Mikey Dawes. Yeah. I don't understand, actually, why not have Gutman in the U.S. national team picture. He might be soon enough. So, um, And before we go to talk about the U.S. national team, the other thing, other thing I'll say is – Mull Rainey as an inverted winger. Not working for you? <laughs> oh, my goodness, no. Yeah. I mean, yes, I know you're, all the people you can call in and tweet at us and say, yes, he cut in and scored the goal. It was a critical goal earlier in the season as an inverted winger. But he's out there, and so many times we play it out to his right foot, and he just cuts it back in, kills the momentum of the play. It's just terrible. Yeah, he didn't have a great game. Um so, Araujo, when do you think he's going to get back? Well, so, I was wrong. Like, Aren't like, you going to gloat? And no, I'm not. I, <laughs> I, I want him back. My prediction. Yesterday. I made a 100% surefire, yeah. 100% prediction that he was going to play in this game. I was wrong. No, I think. Uh, I mean, it was a total guess because they don't give us squat information, right? No, I read an article. Pineda said he, they're not going to rush him back. Uh, and so it sounds, that sounds to me like. In two weeks, we'll see him get some minutes maybe at best, if not three weeks. So I think it's another two or three weeks before we see even minutes. You might say, Mikey Dobbs, that the information the club provides about injuries is... Piss poor? Dire, abhorrent, and loathsome. Right. <laughs> I was going to go with piss poor, but I like your words. They're fancy. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got their own. Okay, yeah. so, you know... Uh, as we talked about early in the season, we weren't going to be strong coming out of the gate because of all the different players. Sosa still hasn't played a full game. Araujo played, but then got hurt. We still haven't seen the full ma'am or mama. Um, so if Pineda can, he, you know, we said we got to win ugly and he has, right. And yeah. so now if he can get it together, he is already sitting at the top of the table. We're already in third, right? Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, even with Moreno, uh, Almada, and Martinez, if we can get that clicking, um, you know, I like Josetu still in the mix there. So I think, you know, we'll, we'll see some good things. Now, Josetu limped off with a hamstring, right? Oh, did he? It, it sure looked to me like a hamstring. Uh, I thought Alonzo was going to be out, too, at that, that moment. where I don't was, know about him. He got kicked, and it was really hard to see whether or not that's a legit, you know, or, or not. But Josetu... Um, he pulled up on one of the plays, like you could see about two or three steps. He started reaching back for it, and you know that move, yeah, right? Yeah. Eesh. U.S. So. men's national team talk? Okay. Well, so I, I should point out, you know, what I'm wearing, right? You yeah. want to describe for the podcast listeners? It's the uh, She Believes Cup. Uh, Billy Ellick will love this one. <laughs> uh, the U.S. Ma men's national team... Had their draw, right? Yeah, so this is the Women's World Cup squad, and I'm talking to you, Men's World Cup squad. So the women seem to win the World Cup, Mikey Dobbs. So I thought in honor of us qualifying for the Men's World Cup, I would wear my 
women's World Cup shirt that maybe it'll rub off. I like it. And you know what that brings up to, to make it rub off is a little ATL on fire oh, trivia. No. <laughs> that is steered around uh, I might need the to U.S. national team soccer. Okay. And I'll start it off with a question about the Women's World Cup. Dave. Oh, boy. What year is recognized to be the first FIFA Women's World Cup? What year? The first FIFA World Cup um, was in China, and it was... That's correct, by the way. Well done. <laughs> um, let's see. It was uh, 80... Um, so I was... No, sorry. Uh, I was 17. I'm going to reveal my age. Um, so that would have to be 92. So close. 1991. Oh, well. You were, yeah, I mean. Yeah, give okay. I, 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 I could have worked back from when the cycle right. were on. But yeah, okay. Well done, though. That's, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty strong. I, I For whatever reason, I would have thought it was earlier than that. There were some international games kind of... Um, leading up to that in the 70s and 80s. But, it, you know, even in that one, it sounds like FIFA was hesitant to call it the World Cup, uh, which they later back in, it was like mm. the, the M&M in, in World Invitational or something like that. Don't know about um, that. We had a fantastic team. Michelle Akerstall up yeah. top, Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy in the midfield. I mean, that was a team. I mean, Mia Hamm, how many posters was and she we, we And uh, with Anson Durant as the coach, who is the North Carolina coach. I mean, we just steamrolled in that World Cup. So, Dave, off to the men's side of things, since <laughs> we had the draw the other day, which I went up to the brick store in Decatur, watched the most dramatic ping pong, ping pong ball operation <laughs> ever. They drugged that thing out like an yeah, hour and a half. Yeah. That aside, uh, what is the best result the U.S. has ever had in a World Cup? Oh, it's... Uh... 1950 semifinal. Mm. So close. You got the year wrong, though. Oh, really? So, I mean, the first two World Cups we played, and we beat England in 50, and I thought that was to get to the quarterfinal. I thought we got in the semifinal. So in one of those first two World Cups, we were in the semifinal. That's correct. It was 1930, though, with the <sighs> first World Cup ever. We made it to the semifinals and lost to Argentina six to one or something like that. <laughs> you have to remember. Do, do you know how many teams played in that tournament? Probably not too many. That's I think question. it was eight. <laughs> <laughs> so there is some context. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so you know, you win one game, you're in the semifinal. So within a ten year buffer, Dave, what year did the U.S. play their first official international game? Oh, my goodness. Well, so obviously we were in the 34 World Cup. So when was their first international game? Um, let's go with... It can't be that much earlier than that. So I'm going to go with like 1917. One year off, 1916, 16... <laughs> We played uh, Sweden in Stockholm. What? Yeah. You, the U.S. Uh, won three to two. Close. Yeah. Which only counts in what? Horseshoes? And, and hand grenades. All That's right. right. That's not Sorry, a good topic right now, though. No. Um, in 1994, Dave, having automatically uh, you know, qualified for the World Cup yep. within the USA, um, 
We had a 1-1 draw against Switzerland. The match was played in the first ever blank in Detroit. It was the first ever indoor game because it was in the dome. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, and they had to um, – it was still played on grass. They wouldn't let them play on turf. They actually had to assemble the grass field in the dome, and because the grass was giving off, you know – breathing right carbon dioxide you know uh, taking carbon dioxide and whatever um then uh there was like a haze that was building up in the stadium because it wasn't designed for actually breathing that not only getting it right adding some (laughs) some more facts to the trivia yeah so i think you're gonna get this one right too from your previous answer in 1950 in the Mm. world cup the u.s lost their first match three to one to spain but then beat this country one nothing, which is widely considered one of the greatest upsets in football history. England and the 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 captain of that team, Harry Keogh. Um, so my my college coach was Ty Keogh. His son was also a terrific player, and I had many conversations with Harry Keogh about that game. Okay, and as the captain, he said that you know when they scored, it was pretty early in that match. It was something like twenty thirtieth minute. And, you know, the, everybody was really excited. And he said, my job was to say, what the hell did you go and do that for? If we were going to win this game, we had to score in the 90th minute because we're just going to piss them off. <laughs> and we're now going to lose 8-0. 8-1, I mean. Um, and he said it was a lot of, let's see how far and why we can kick it and how much we can delay. <laughs> so. so, Dave, how many times has the U.S. played England in the World Cup? Um, I, you know, I thought some people were talking about how that we had played them twice. Um, but I'm trying to remember, I mean, that was the, the, the epic game. I know we have never lost to them in the world cup, which is bizarre. Um, and if it was in the modern era, like if it was in 90 or whatever, we got killed in all three (laughs) matches. So that can't be it. Um, so I can only really think of the one match, but I heard, that maybe it was twice. Is that true? That's spot on. Two yeah. is correct. When was the second game? 2010 in South Africa. Oh. Clint Dempsey scored a tying goal, I think, right. make it 1 1. Right. Yeah. Okay. So well done. Um, all right. That's it. That's ATL on Fire Trivia, I believe. Look at that. Nice. <laughs> which, so, which leads us to the draw on Friday. Yeah. We've got England in our group, Group B. We got Iran, and the question mark now is who's going to be the fourth in the plane, Wales, Scotland, or a very outside chance of, of Ukraine. But bef- so before I ask you who you would prefer of those three teams, um, that's still to be determined, <clears throat> what I wanted to talk about was the history of the way they do the, 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 the draw. So um, we first qualified in the modern era for the World Cup in '90. Um, and then in 94, we played at home and we qualified in 98 again and, and in, in 2002. Um, and one of the problems that we have had historically is because of the way they've done the, the pots, it used to be done by region, right? And so CONCACAF had a historically poor rating, right? Because the U.S. and Mexico were, were decent. Mexico was good. We were mediocre. Yeah. Um, and um, But because... It was based on the whole rating. You know, Trinidad would lose to England. They always played England a lot because they had this ties, you know, historically. And then, you know, so so you um, 
uh, they would FIFA would build in the pots based on that. Okay, so what happened was just like now there were four pots. You know, pot one, two, three, and four. And the U.S. and Mexico, in all of those intervening years, we're talking 98, 2002, 2006, right? We were in pot three. There was no way to get out of pot three. The only way FIFA said we could get out of pot three is if we became ranked, I think it was in the top eight in the world or top four maybe, then we would have gotten a seed and moved into the top pot. But this was, you know, there were a couple of times when the U.S. was ranked or Mexico was ranked, you know, in the teens, you know, 12, 13, 14, whatever. And we were still in pot three. And because we were in pot three, we were almost guaranteed to be in the group of death because one, we're all the seeds, you know, Brazil, Germany, whatever. And then pot two was all the best teams from uh, Europe and South America. We're talking about, you know, Portugal and we're talking about, you know, Uruguay, right? Great size. Right. and on top of that, they tried to avoid having too many from the same group. So UEFA couldn't play UEFA, you know, uh, Eng- Europe couldn't play Europe, and South America couldn't play South America. So we were almost guaranteed to have one seed from either Europe or South America, one second place team from the opposite, and we were going to be the third place in that group. It was almost guaranteed that we were going to be in the group of death. So what do you think of our groupy positioning so we this year finally for the first time they got rid of that and said okay it's based on you they actually did it in the last world cup but we didn't qualify for the last (laughs) world cup so well you know it didn't matter but in this world cup and last world cup they got away with they got rid of that and so now mexico and the u.s were actually in pot two Two. and we actually came really close to making pot one believe it or not but anyway pot two is all that's needed because as soon as you're in pot two you get one of the top seeds, which of course you're always going to have some good team in the group, but you don't. You get a lousy pot three and pot four, right? right? So we were almost now safe from from being in a group of death. And one of the things you'll notice across the entire World Cup draw is that in this World Cup draw, There's there no isn't a group, group of, of death, death. and it's because they fixed the dang pots. Yeah, that's right. As soon as it was over. Our first comment was, I don't really see a group of death. And if I had to pick a group of death, ironically, it's with group A because you never really want the host nation, which another little piece of trivia, the only team to never make it out, the only host nation that never make it out of the group stages. I know. Go. South Africa. Nailed it. 2010 South Africa. That's the only time that a nation has not made it out of their group stage. So you don't want Qatar, if stats mean anything. You don't want to play Senegal, who is one of those teams just, you know, is just an X factor. Mm-hmm. Um, they won the – did Senegal win uh, against Egypt, right, in the – Yes, they won in Africa. Yeah, uh, and then you've got Ecuador, which plays in, you know, the hardest qualifying, you know, one of the hardest qualifying campaigns in uh, – was it Yeah, Colombia and Ecuador are always really good teams. Um, yeah. So and then yeah, Netherlands, right? That's Group A. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty tough. That's a pretty tough one. I mean, you could make an argument, but again, I agree. It's just much more even. You know, you look at I think it's Belgium and Germany in the same group too. Uh, I have to look. I, I don't know it right in front of me. Uh, Carmen can maybe Carmen can verify <laughs> for um, us. But you know, so so our group. Um, you know, England, Iran, and then so first of all, the question is, who do you want of? 
um, Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine? Well, I, I don't think you want Ukraine for reasons of uh, emotion and the world cheering Fair. for them. Um, n- no offense to their, you know, to, to their good fortune if that they do make it, but I want U.S. to win. So I, you know, I think everybody would be a little wary of, of matching up against them. And I like the idea of England having to play Wales or Scotland. So that just adds pressure to England yep. if it's one of those two. So, A, I'd want it to be one of those two. And they're going to play that team in the first game. So we're, yeah. we play Iran in the first game, and they're going to play whoever, Ukraine. Which I think is, the, is a better, better order of things. Because I think if we were to play Iran in a game that was of consequence, there's so much emotion there. But if it's the first game, which it, it will be, um, Hopefully we can just, you know, have the young talent that we have, not have any sort of memory of, I think we lost to Iran in, in yes. 2014 or 10? Uh, maybe 10, two yeah. to one. Yeah. yeah, two to one. So, I don't know. I, I think I would prefer Scotland, to be honest, if I had to pick who the other playing team was. You know, uh, Gareth Bale, uh, some of uh, some of the other players on, right. on that team. Wales has a few good players. Yeah, they've got the the Arsenal. Scotland has a decent team overall, but it doesn't have any players is, who is, really scare you. Is McTominay also mm-hmm. uh, Scottish? Well, oh, he's Scottish. So, yeah. Okay, so they've got some good players too. So they've yeah. got McTominay. But McTominay doesn't scare you the way that you know Gareth Bale can score a goal, you know, single handedly. Yeah. McTominay is not going to do that. But they've also got um, who's the Arsenal player from from Wales, right? Uh, is it t- oh, Tierney? Used, I mean, Aaron Ramsey is Welsh, okay. but he Maybe doesn't I got play that. for Arsenal anymore. But uh, who? I don't know. But either, you know, I don't have too much of a a sway on which I, you know, we should beat. If we're going to make it anywhere, we should be able to beat those two teams. I think that you're right on that you want Scotland. In, um, and I love the order of the draw because... Um, I don't think, you know, you could have said maybe playing England in the third game is best and maybe you would have already, you know, won two and qualified. I don't think it's a problem playing them in the second game. I don't think you want them in the first game because if we play them in the first game, you have to give everything you have. And if you don't come up with a result, you lose. Now you're, you know, a little bit tired and all the other things and now you're up against it. So I think you can now put everything into the first game against Iran, hopefully get a result. Yeah. And then if you're a little tired against England, if you happen to lose the game, it's not going to kill us. Yeah, I like your thinking. Um, yeah, and, you know, again, the the U.S.-England game is also just going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch and, you know, start start poking some of our... We were going through on paper, you know, and, and, and England is, is, I think, the better team on paper. They're certainly a more mature, older team. But, and player for player, we have some big-time players playing in real Champions League teams, playing really major roles for those teams. Um, you know, we can stack up against an England. I mean, we're real young. We're yeah. going to be probably the youngest team in the entire World Cup. Yeah. So what do you think? We get out get out of the stage? 
I think so. I mean, um, you got to favor us to get out of the. Yeah, the stage. I feel like there's sixty to seventy percent chance. The other thing is if form holds, and so what are the things you should? So there's two things about this World Cup. So because of the draw and having two good teams basically in every group, you got to figure that there're going to be some upsets, of course. But by and large, the good teams are going to move on. You're not going to have a group of teth where you're going to lose one of the good teams right off the bat. Um, you could even, for example, have the best 16 moving on into the 16. Um, so that's awesome. The other thing about this World Cup is so typically the World Cup coming at the summer, the players have had a huge long season and the stars really haven't performed because they're exhausted. They've played Champions League matches and they've played club matches and they've played cup matches and whatever. This year... Um, for the European players, it's an absolute dream. They have preseason, they have September and October to get in perfect form. Then they go off to the national team. They'll be rested in perfect form. I mean, you actually should see the best players really show up in this tournament. Yeah. Um, so I love that. And, and usually that would work against the United States because we might have some MLS players. When we have MLS players, there was typically an advantage because we're in midseason form normally in the summer. Um, but we actually would have been at a disadvantage, except for this team is mostly a European-based team. Yeah, Our starting lineup, top starting lineup, with the exception of probably Robinson and Zimmerman, the two center backs, who are probably going to be the least tired players, um, is all Europe-based. You think they'll be the least tired? MLS is still in full swing at that time of year, heading into... Sure. We'll be at the end of the season. They'll be tired from a whole season, but at least they're center backs. Center backs tend to oh, be able to be okay. more okay. Yeah. yeah. So we'll play England, uh, what, the 27th, day after Thanksgiving? Day after November. Thanksgiving. Awesome. That's going to be awesome. You got your turkey I mean, leftovers. You set it up. Feels, Let's go. It feels like we got some mojo. Go. We got some mojo in that one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we play our first game that earlier that week, um, and then we play England the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah. So does it get any better than that, Mikey? No, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we can go after that team, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not saying we're going to win or anything, but um, we can go after that team, yeah. and we're we're, we're good. Um, so, yeah, because you know England's confident about that group. They, you know, they're at least going to pose like they love it, but I don't think they are going to love it with the U.S. and say Scotland. Yeah, um, it's a bloodbath, you know, blood grudge bath. match with either Wales or Scotland, yeah. probably. Um, and I yeah. don't think anyone wants to play Iran either, particularly just because you know, a they're in kind of their own region, the the climate. Um, you know, I think they're going to be, you know, certainly comfortable in, in that setting. So, you know, they, they'll have a little little bit of an edge with well, that. Well, the other thing you're going to see is not only do you have not the players coming off a long season, but each of these stadiums is air-conditioned. It's all going to be 70 degrees or 60, whatever they set the thermostat to. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're typically playing in the hot summer heat, you know. Even when yeah. they play in cold places, um, it's hot. You know, remember in 94 in the U.S., those matches were hot. And the yeah. players in the second half, they were like walking yeah. around. These players are going to be in midseason form, not in at the end of the season. And it's going to be perfect temperature field. So you might actually see some really dynamic, you know. Play. So what, what fields are air conditioned here? Tell me about this. All the, all the fields are there. Uh, they're all, they're all indoor and they're all air conditioned. 
that's a little factoid for me. I didn't know because that. otherwise it's 110 degrees there, Mikey. No, I think in the summer there it's like in the 90s, yeah. which is or in the. I think they're all in indoors the winter, uh, for us, and I don't know what. Yeah, it's still winter yeah. in the northern hem- hemisphere for them. Sure. So I think I think in the summer it's like 105, 110, but now still crazy hot in the 90s. Um, but I didn't realize that all the stadiums are uh, air conditioned. I believe so, they're all indoors. So if that's the case, why the hell are we not playing over the summer? Because they said that the games would be okay, but even the fans milling about. Who you cares know, about the fans? <laughs> they're going to have they've people cold, having. They've got cold beer. What, they're going to have which, England, England, which is going to be you know, weird in, uh, in 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 that area, right? Again, just are like, they but, even allowed to drink there? I, you know, they. It was against the law to drink in the stadiums in Brazil. They're like, whatever. The sponsor's Budweiser. Let's make <laughs> it happen. You know, your your morals don't count when it comes to sponsorship yeah. in FIFA, you know. So I'm sure that, you know, Saudi Arabia is going to. Where uh, there's a will, there's uh, a way. Uh, sorry, Qatar is going to uh, bend the <laughs> rules. Well, yeah, it's just that, you know, so this is another thing, right? So um, the correct, correct pronunciation of the country has always been Qatar. But everybody in the U.S. has always been calling it Qatar for, for years. And actually, they just embraced it. They're like, oh, we're hosting a World Cup. So they actually, like, you know how they have, like, their airlines that they fly yeah. over the world? Their commercials used to be Qatar Airlines. Now they're Qatar Airlines. Yeah. They changed the pronunciation of their country to accommodate See, us stupid Americans. Now, now you're going to make me totally nerd <laughs> out. I watched a YouTube thing on this, and actually somebody from Qatar, which they said it's actually a little bit of a G in there. It's, okay. It's Cutter, which it's, it's like it's a subtle yeah. thing, but it's more of what you're saying, which Gutter. is yeah. cutter, but it's like a little bit of a G yeah. in there. I'm not even going to pretend to do it right, but okay. it's not purely cutter. It's like gutter. <laughs> so there you go. You don't want to end up in the gutter, yeah. Mikey Dobbs. That's where our young Woo. team might end up in the World Cup. Uh, but yeah, I mean, come on, right? So, and the World Cup final is December 18th, the week before Christmas. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know, sitting by the fire, yeah, watching a little football. We'll be here, right, right here, late, watching dear podcast listeners. You know, yeah, that's gonna be fun. We'll have to have to do do a podcast, maybe do a live. I don't know. We'll, we'll do something, something yeah. different. Right? And the bottom line is, we qualified. Yes, right? and the, so here's the thing too. This is the last qualification that might ever have any sort of real tension right i know because they're expanding the world yeah, cup. two things are going to happen one is the next world cup we're host so us mexico and canada are all hosts and i think are all automatically qualified right. so <laughs> party in the north north america right. and then the following year um it's it's all like it's also expanded yeah. so they're going to 48 teams so there's going to be right now it's you know three automatic qualification yeah. and one playoff they're going to go to six qualifiers for Concacaf. correct right. so, so that's anybody what who to. gets in the the hex, you know, the yeah. famous last hex. Everybody's in. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, now Panama and Costa Rica, yeah. sure, join the join the party. Marty. But really, is Honduras and El Salvador like if we can't if we can't figure it out at that point? Like it's a true like there's we no. We did lose to Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, but that's else. not going to happen again, <laughs> like, right? I mean, in you know. No, like there should never ever be the type of tension that happened in 2018 when we didn't qualify. And to be fair, like it was pretty cut and dry. Like we qual- we going to qualify as soon as we beat Panama five to one. Um, the Costa Rica game was just you know matter of time. Even though I was still screaming at the TV because it's 
Costa Rica and we should do better. They played their second team. Second team. How do we not? How do we? And so well, what do you think that says about Burhalter? Well, he was he. I don't know what he told the team, but they certainly didn't play the way that I would have, which was like they were overly on the front foot in that game when what they should have done is just sucked Costa, Costa Rica in. They were, you know, they weren't pressing and we could have just kept passing the ball back a little bit instead of trying to push it forward and just be a little more patient is what we should have been in that game, a little more patient and let Costa Rica step up and get themselves out of position and then go. And there was just too many times where we were just pushing the agenda where it didn't need to be pushed, in my opinion, where you could have just played a very possession-based game and sucked Costa Rica in. That's, so I that's kinda, my opinion. I'm going to disagree with you. I mean, I would have just gone to steamroll their second team and said, look, let's get on the front foot. But the problem is, Burhalter on the front foot, we don't have any clue about what to do. Right, so on the front foot for us just means, yeah, people have the license to go forward and we're trying to get forward and it's frantic or whatever, but there's no method to our madness, Mikey Dobbs. There's no consistent movement. There's no, you know, we play with that front three, right? And there's no movement to it, right? No. It's not dynamic whatsoever, right? And, you know, Weston McKinney by himself adds a dynamic to it that doesn't exist when Burhalter is coaching Gio anybody Reina else. Sure as hell adds um, yeah, we have some players who will do it, but the coaching, there's no way that we go about attacking teams. It's just like, okay, we have a decent formation for that team, and in fairness to Burhalter, it was totally... Uh, shambolic at the beginning. We we talked about it so many times, the lineup. You know, Tyler Adams playing in the road in that first away game on right back, right? I mean, if anything you're going to do in that game is keep the heart and soul and the team in the middle of the field, and he played him at right back, people, right? So, <laughs> I mean, it was terrible. So he's fixed that. Yeah, We don't have any... Horrible. You don't see the lineup and go, what the? We don't have any more of this. Remember we had in those early games, he made like five subs at halftime to fix mm -hmm. the formation. I mean, it was just terrible. We don't have that. But we still don't have an idea about how we're going to play. I don't think they have an identity. They have good players. They have a decent tactical system for those things, but they don't have a way of playing. Well, because, I mean, part, part, partly due to his credit, right? We did have a lot of squad rotation. Yes, I so, think he's done a good job with keeping players happy and rotating the squad. So with that, do you think he's going to now start to name? Obviously, in the World Cup, we get, you got to have your stable, like here, here's the guys, right? So sure. I think if we can get to that with a healthy squad, hopefully Weston McKenney's back. Uh, who else is injured? Um, somebody else got injured recently, right? Not just uh, McKenney. I mean, Tyler oh, Dest, was later. Dest. Oh, Virginia Dest was out yeah, for Dest, these games. Dest was out. And, so. of course, um, Gio Reyna was out for most of qualifying yeah. after he got hurt in, like, the second game. Right? When he came back, he's like, I'm just going to dribble the whole <laughs> the entire Mexico team. If you haven't seen that, dear podcast listeners, just Google search on YouTube or YouTube search um, Gio Reyna versus Mexico. There's about a 45-second clip of him dribbling through the entire Mexican team. And, I mean, I know, it's just a joy to watch. I know, <laughs> I know that, you know, like with anything, it's it's all about the final moment. But, boy, that was one more cut away from being Lionel Messi, Maradona. Maradona, yeah, is the real one, yeah, yeah. that reminds you of. Because it started at midfield like Maradona did. Yeah, it was it was special. Yeah. The so, one thing I want to say, though, is that so the, what worries me again about Burhalter, right, is he says, oh, you know, 
our team is all kind of set. You know, the 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 problem is um, that uh, um, the problem that we have is you know we got to get one of the 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 real strikers you know really going. He's like. Pepe's got to hit his stride or Sargent's got to hit his stride or P-Fox's got to hit his stride or whatever. Yeah, he, he definitely didn't hit his stride. <laughs> he missed that sitter. In the game. But Mikey Dobbs, why? Why? There's no imagination. Why do we need an American-style, super big, not that, you know, great, skillful, not a lot of movement, center, you know, classic um, target man? Why not play with Pulisic in the middle as the false nine and Wea and Gio Reyna on his two sides and say, take that movement. See if you can stay with all three. Get him interchanging. I don't hate that at all. Like, there's no imagination. Well, He's like, oh, a striker has to be well, this. First off, I like that because, I mean, Tim Wea is still just, you know, day by day going to try to challenge for his, his, his dad's legacy. He's getting better and better. He's getting better and better. This is Gio Reyna. who's just so young. So, yes, uh, it would be it'd be pretty fun to take that risk and see if those two on the flanks with Pulisic up front, who Pulisic's so good at darting around. And yeah, you know, the funny thing is, he's like, we need a classic guy to be on the end of those crosses. So have any of those guys ever gotten on the end of a cross? No. You know who's gotten on the end of a cross and headed the ball in the goal? Pulisic. Pulisic. Yeah, I mean. Right? So, yeah, he's tiny he's and tiny, blah, blah, blah. He, but he who makes, cares? He makes a good, great runs. Yes, to, to, it's timing, it's people. Timing. Right? Nobody says, Sergio Aguero, I wonder if he can yeah. score goals. And what, what's his name? He plays for Norwich. Uh, who's the striker? Sergeant. Sergeant. Like, still waiting for him to, yeah, with, he's like, what, 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six, yeah. Like, still hasn't had the header. Like, no. Still waiting. Still waiting, people. Waiting. Yeah. And I'm okay, you know, we've got DK and P-Funk and Sergeant and all these guys, you know, they're the Josie Altador of the current team, and they're big and strong, and they're much more skillful than they used to be. But, you know, um, they don't have great movement. None of them have blown me away with the movement. And to be honest, they're not even phenomenal finishers, right? Yeah. So you maybe you can get one of those guys if they're a phenomenal finisher, but we don't need it. All right, Dave. I like your thinking. Anything else to talk about? With <laughs> no, I believe we've talked about more than it all. We have. We've crushed it. And we even uh, had the very first ATL on fire phone call. We did. And there'll be more of those to come, I think. Thank you, Carmen, for yes, making you. it all possible. I mean, you know, the future is limitless now that it is. It is. I can focus. <laughs> and we'll get you on a microphone one of these days one so these that you days. can join in the discussion because I know you're dying to put in things, right? <laughs> so we'll see. Well, you have a microphone, but we're going to get you a proper microphone. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Carmen. Thanks, listeners. Take care. Ciao.